Welcome to the Grove Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're a faith community seeking to change lives, change our community, and change the world. And now to this week's message. We hope you enjoy it. Agendas. We all have them, don't we? We all have agendas. And most often in my life, I'm going to own this, if I have an agenda, it's probably selfish, right? It's a me-genda. It is what I want. And I'm going to bring that to the table in every aspect of my life. I'm going to bring my agenda to the table in my relationship with Laura and with my kids. I'm going to bring my agenda to the table in my relationship uh, with people through the Grove. I'm going to bring my agenda to the table in all aspects of my life. And the reason why I know that is because I'm a selfish punk. And we all do that if we just are honest enough to admit it, right? We all have those moments where our agenda is more important than anything else in the world. Now, in all honesty, I don't live there all the time, but I find myself falling back into that rut pretty regularly where my agenda, my wants, my desires trump everything else. Trump my attitude, it trumps the way I treat other people, and my agenda becomes the main thing, and that always leads to ugliness. It might not be super ugly for everybody else to see, but it's always ugly in one form or fashion. You can see this play out on teams, can't you? If you've ever been a part of a team, whether it's a work team or a sports team or whatever, a team that's been put together to pull off an event, whatever, these agendas come in on these, in teams, and, and, and and if everybody's playing for themselves and doing their own thing, then, then the real goal never gets achieved. It's a bunch of individuals doing individual stuff. When I was playing ninth grade football, which back in the day was just ninth grade football, now I think it's called uh, freshman football or whatever, but back in the day it was just ninth grade football, and if you were a ninth grader, that meant you were the oldest in junior high, right? So this was back in my last year of junior high, and it was spring practice this time of year and we had a kind of a no-no on our team it was you don't hit the quarterback in practice full-on we didn't have things like black jerseys or the little helmet caps and all that that they have now it was just don't hit Wade that was it don't hit Wade the thing is is I was mad at Wade one day And the thing is, is that Wade and I were actually good friends, but I just, he had gotten under my skin. And he was making fun of people, and he thought he was the biggest thing since sliced bread, and he was out there strutting around as the ninth grade quarterback. Yeah, Wade. And the ninth grade quarterbacks always think they're the coolest people in the world. And he's out there, and he's strutting around, and he's acting like he's better than everybody else. And at this particular drill, we were playing um, ones versus ones as much as we could for a small private school. So that meant 
first team offense versus first team defense. And I rotated in with the first team on offense, but I was first team defense. So I was on defense in this particular uh, time of practice. And I was, and I was a, a rush end. So some of you don't know what that means. That means I lined up on the end of the line. I stood up and I just took off trying to... T- Actually, there's a lot more to it. You have to contain, and you have to make sure that the play doesn't get outside of you. And there's reads. You're looking at this person, and you, you look at high hat, low hat, which is not a thing anymore. But anyway, there's all these things that you're queuing off of. I didn't care. I had a me agenda. I was going to take out Wade because, let's face it, he was a punk, and he was being punky. So I lined up on the end of the line, and I knew the play, right? Because I just knew the formations. I knew everything because I played on offense too. And I lined up, and I, and I saw it, and I, I was like, I know. I know he is about to bootleg this thing, and I am going to smoke him. That was my agenda. He hikes the ball, fakes bootlegs, bam. Back then, there was no helmet to helmet, by the way. You could ear hole someone. They, did, they didn't know you were there. You could come flying as fast as you could. Ty, you probably did this as a DB. You could just come screaming in and hit someone in the side of the head. I'm sorry about this. We've got a doctor in the room that works with sports medicine. And it was like a thing that was like cool to do, right? If you knocked the guy out, that was the best thing in the world. It was. By the way, I got my share of knockouts too. And just to be fair, so this wasn't just anyway. I I wasn't just mean. Everybody was mean back in the day. And I smoked Wade and I hit him helmet to helmet and I knocked him down and he got up and he was, I mean, he was shook. Like he kind of stumbled and he looked around and he was kind of getting oriented on where he was. And all I could think is, that felt so amazing until I heard the coach, McGee, and I knew I was done. I think I sprinted 100s for the rest of practice. I can't promise that I didn't throw up. Too often we bring our agendas to the table, no matter what the expense, no matter what the cost for someone else is. And sometimes we even feel justified. Wade was being a punk, and he was a friend of mine, so I had every right to try to concuss him. I didn't, ninth grade boy logic back in the day, that's all that was. I had it justified in my mind, and I didn't care what the coach thought, what Wade thought, or what anybody else in the practice thought, although the, the laughs and the oohs and all that was well worth it at the time. Oh, you know, everybody going crazy. Oh, Wade getting up, stumbling, like, what just happened? My agenda, though, my agenda could have destroyed our season. Because we really did need Wade. 
and he really was the leader. And even though he was a punk, he was a good leader, and he was a really good football player. How often, though, in life do we come into these situations and our agenda trumps everything? And we feel justified and we feel right and we're like, dead gummit, I'm going to do this. I don't care what anybody thinks. Or we let our selfishness well up and we treat someone in a way that we shouldn't treat them because we're acting out of our agenda and our desires instead of what's best. Well, this episode that we're going to look at today is exactly what was happening in the life of Jesus as he goes before Pontius Pilate. There are multiple agendas on the table here. There's the agenda of Pilate. There's the agenda of the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin. There's the agenda of the crowd. There's the agenda of Barabbas. And then there's Jesus' agenda. All of these things are out there. And everybody's trying to jockey for what they want. And Jesus is wrapped up in this. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark 15, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 15. And if you don't have your Bible, you can follow on the screen or on a smart device. Now remember, last week we looked at Jesus' trial before the Sanhedrin. They have found him guilty of blasphemy. But blasphemy is not a charge that you could bring up in a Roman case. Roman law didn't account for blasphemy. And the Roman leaders would have said, hey, that's for y'all to handle, not us. So the council, the Sanhedrin, got together and they came up with what they were going to do as they approached Pilate. What was the charge going to be? Verse 1, as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a, a consultation with the elders and the scribes. The scribes were the lawyers. And the whole council was there, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. So what was the consultation about, right? They had to get the story straight. They had to know what they were going to approach Pilate with. They had to know what is, what's an offense that we can bring before Rome, because blasphemy is an offense we can bring before Rome. So they talked about what it would be, and then they release him and they deliver him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked them, verse 2, asked him, Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Now let me stop here. This is obviously what the Sanhedrin brought before Pilate to say Jesus' offense was. He claims to be the king of the Jews. Now why is that significant? What the Jewish leadership was accusing him of was claiming to be the Messiah. Well, the Messiah in Jewish history would become the Jewish king. And so they accused him of being the Messiah. Well, they found him guilty of claiming to be the Messiah, but not the Messiah. But now they bring him before the Rome, the Roman procurate. They bring him before Pilate, and they change their story almost. So it goes from, well, he's claiming to be the king of the Jews. He's claiming to be the Messiah we don't believe him, that's blasphemy. So now we're going to go, and if he himself said, I'm the king of the Jews, they would have been furious. But now they take him to Pilate and they say, here's the king of the Jews. This guy's claiming to be the king of the Jews. What are you going to do about it? 
Now, why would that be troubling for Pontius Pilate? Not rhetorical, you can answer this. Taking his place, all right, what else? Yes, it could, it could stoke up an insurgency. Anything else? It's total rebellion against the Roman form of government, namely saying that Rome and Caesar isn't king, but that this Jewish guy is. And that was a huge no-no in the Roman Empire. Nothing came above Caesar. There was no power greater. And so if anybody claimed to be king, they were saying, we're not, Rome's not our king, Caesar's not our king, this Jewish rabbi is our king. That was a huge charge. So that's what they picked. And so Pilate, with this charge before him, says, are you the king of the Jews? Now think about that. He's asking this young man who obviously doesn't have a big entourage. He's not from one of the wealthy families from Jerusalem. He's not in a position of power within the temple. This is just an everyday Job. So for Pilate to see him come before him, he's like, wait a second, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, you have said so. Now, this is as much a mystery in English as it is in Greek, as it would have been to Pilate. It's a non-answer, really. He's saying, those are your words, that's what you're saying, but that's all he says. Think about this. In the Sanhedrin trial, and then now before Pontius Pilate, Jesus only speaks twice. This is the second time, and this is all he says according to Mark. Are you the king of the Jews? And he answers him, well, you have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. Because Jesus wouldn't answer and defend himself, they turned back to the leadership, the Sanhedrin, and say, okay, we'll prove this. This guy doesn't look like he's trying to be king. This guy doesn't seem like he's trying to be king. Prove that he is trying to be king. So he turns it back to the, to the leaders, the chief priests. And they accused him of many things, him being Jesus. And Pilate asked again, asked him again, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. That Pilate has an agenda. Pilate's agenda is power and control. And if there's an insurgency, he loses control. If there's another power, he loses power. His agenda is power and control. But he has a third agenda, and we know this not necessarily because of Scripture, although you can pick through it and figure this out, but we have this for extra biblical literature, the guy hated the Jews and the Jewish faith. At one point, I don't know if you knew this, that Pilate, there was a group of Galileans going up to worship and to make a sacrifice at the temple, and he slaughters them and forces the blood of, that they were bringing those sacrifices in their blood to be mingled and poured out in the temple. The dude was... Vicious. He was so vicious that he ended up losing his governorship over an episode that came later. 
He was brutal. And he hated the leaders. He hated these chief priests. And so one of the agendas that he comes in with is, I'm not going to let them tell me what to do. So power, control, and pride. I hate these people. I'm not going to let them win. And so all of that is mixed in the scene with their agenda. But the chief priest had a different agenda. Their agenda, agenda was to get rid of this, of this rabbi who was causing ripples, who was saying things that, that, would, that would lead to them not having power anymore. He was teaching in such a way that it took away their influence. Jesus had become bigger than they were, more important than they were, and he pushed them to understand God in a new way, and they didn't want anything to do with it. Their agenda was protection. Their agenda was to have it my way. Their agenda was to choose comfort and a wall and a bubble that I could live in. Even though Rome's out there, at least they let us be a little bit. But this Jesus guy, he's upsetting the cart. They didn't want to have to submit to him. They didn't want any part of his teaching. They didn't want to consider what it meant if what he was saying was true. So Pilate, with his agenda, and the religious leaders with theirs, are standing here, and Jesus is in the middle. Now at the feast, he, he being the governor, used to release to them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in their insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas, or as you've heard it said, Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. Let's stop here. Mark's version, Mark's telling of this story is different than some of the other telling of the, tellings of the story. In the New Testament, Mark's version of this is different, a little bit different than Matthew and Luke's, different than John's. Let me explain that for a second. In this telling, as you read this sentence, the crowd that comes up, comes up specifically to ask for him to release a prisoner. The crowd that's gathered that morning, which would have been at sunrise, by the way, it would have been the first thing in the morning, like the sun comes up, okay, it's time to have this trial right out here on this portico. And the crowd would have filtered in, and it could have been 50 people, it could have been 100 people, it could have been 200 people. We don't know how many. What we do know is that there had been an insurrection. And then it had been significant enough that multiple people were killed and multiple, pe multiple people were arrested. One of those that was labeled a murderer was this Barabbas guy. So this insurrectionist who's murdered someone is in prison. And this crowd, as we read it in Mark, has come to ask for him to be released. Has nothing to do with Jesus and their hatred for him. According to Mark... The crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And as multiple scholars believe, they came up specifically to ask for Barabbas to be released. That was a common thing. It wasn't common for him to say, do you want this guy or this guy? 
which is what's about to happen. What usually happened is they had a name, they came up and they said, release so-and-so. It was planned, they would come as a crowd, and they would ask for the release. So that's what Mark is saying is going on here. This crowd comes up, and they're calling for someone to be released, namely Barabbas. But Pilate, with his own agenda, says, ah, there's a way out. There's a way for me to act like I'm doing something without giving the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, the chief priests, all of these people that I dislike, the satisfaction of getting their way. There's another way. And in his mind, if the crowd coming up to ask for Barabbas has another choice, and it's this guy that they seem to like, it's this guy that everybody has followed, it's this guy who's done absolutely nothing wrong except tick off the religious leaders, surely they will choose him, right? And the crowd came up and they began to ask, verse 9, and he answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. He knew that their motive, that their agenda was envy, that it was self-protection. And so because of that, he doesn't want to cave in. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have them release, or have him release for them Barabbas instead. So this crowd coming up to ask for a release, now they have a choice, and all the chief priests turn to these folks and say, the right answer is Barabbas. And they stir them up to yell for Barabbas. Think about it for a second. It's easy to say if you were in that crowd, you wouldn't want to yell Barabbas. You would yell Jesus because Jesus is always the answer. Right? Certainly we want Jesus to let loose. But the leaders, the people who are supposed to know, the ones that you have trusted all your life, the ones that are in power and in control in your culture, they come in and they say, look, guys, you really need to choose Barabbas, not that other guy. And they listened. And so the crowd, encouraged by their desire for a prisoner released, probably Barabbas from the start, then is given a choice. And seeing the choice, the leadership, the Jewish leadership says, you know what, guys, choose Barabbas. Don't choose Jesus. And so they asked for Barabbas instead. Verse 12, and Pilate again said to them, then what shall I do with the man you call king of the Jews? And they cried out, crucify him. And then Pilate says to them again, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the, all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. agendas this power and control and this pride that Pilate had prevented him from doing the right thing and what's it say he did 
wishing to satisfy the crowd. He took the easiest path. It's easy to point fingers at Pilate and say, what an idiot. But how often do we choose our agenda over the well-being of others? How often do we choose our agenda over something better? Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, releases for them Barabbas, the religious leaders in the crowd that day. Wanting to keep power and control themselves. Wanting to protect their power and their way of life. Wanting to do away with someone who was a little bit of a challenge to them. Their agenda pushed through. Pilate, chief priests, they both got their way. But so did Jesus. Because at this one time, these wrongly motivated agendas ended up crossing the path with God's agenda. Jesus all along could have stopped it. Multiple times he could have said, "Uh uh-uh, no, okay, I'm done. But he didn't. At any point, he could have offered up the defense, but he didn't. He stayed silent. At any point, he could have shamed him with his knowledge and wisdom. He could have quoted all of the Old Testament and done so thoroughly and explained to them theologically why they were wrong, but he didn't. Jesus could have offered up the perfect defense to a Roman, but he didn't. Jesus could have called down the armies of heaven, but he didn't. He said, nope, this is what's supposed to happen. And so, Jesus, like a lamb before the slaughter, like a sheep before the shearer, by the way, that's Isaiah 53, remains silent. And why? Because he was crushed for our iniquities. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53. This scene and the scene from the night before screams that Jesus is this prophet, this answer to the prophecy of Isaiah 53. He is the suffering servant. He's the one to take on the shame and the suffering and the sins of the world. And he will do it silently and boldly. He will stand in the place that should be our place to stand because he loves us that much. He was beaten for us, shamed for us, died for us, all to offer grace to a people who don't deserve it. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Have you ever watched a dumb sheep walk around the field? They are dumb. 
They are dumb as a brick. And they will just walk around and do whatever the heck they want. And that's what we're like. We all have gone astray and we've all turned like, Oh, hey, what's over here? Walking off a cliff all the while. Oh, this looks like fun. The Grand Canyon. You know, it's awful. We are, we are legitimately not smart. We all have gone astray. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He becomes the sacrificial lamb. Even though we're the sheep that go astray, even though he's the real shepherd, the shepherd becomes the lamb that's the sacrifice for his sheep. All this imagery is at play here. And he does so silently. Because that's Jesus' agenda. But don't miss this important part of this scene. Barabbas is us. Have you ever thought about that? Barabbas is us. And as much as Pilate had his agenda and as much as the religious leaders had their agenda, the setup, I think, was on purpose. I think this is exactly what God wanted. It was the perfect picture of what Jesus has done for us. We are Barabbas. We deserve death. We are filthy, murderous, rebellious. We deserve to be sentenced and put to death, but instead we are set free and Jesus takes our punishment. I think this scene is a beautiful picture of God's amazing grace and love that despite our brokenness and our wrong agendas, God shows up with his agenda and says, I want to make it better. Now, I'm not giving you the excuse to stay in your own agenda. You could walk out of here and go, hey, Todd said we can do whatever we want because God's going to work it out in the end. It's not what I said. I wish it worked like that, right? But we, like Jesus, need to offer ourselves to the will of God. And in so doing, and in so doing, we don't spit in the face of his grace. We are Barabbas. We are set free. And Jesus takes our punishment. Don't waste this grace. Take God's grace as an opportunity to love him with your whole life. Offering him all that you have and all that you are because he offered all he has and all he is. Take this opportunity to align your agenda with the agenda that always wins. But then also take this opportunity to return the grace that you've been so freely given and set free for and share that grace with others. We all have agendas. I 
I felt really bad after practice that day. Not because I had to run sprints, but because Wade was my friend. Because I let my selfishness and my agenda come before the team and before our friendship. And I had to do one of the hardest things that you have to do as a ninth grade boy. I had to go and apologize to another ninth grade boy. I had to say, look, dude, I'm sorry. My bad. Too often our agendas take us to places we don't want to be. So will you take on his? We hope you found this week's message meaningful and impactful. And as always, don't just hear it, but put it into practice. Until next time, have a good one.